Welcome back to the Drop Zone, your favorite golf podcast. It's Sean Zock. He's Dylan DeChair. Dylan, I said it on last week's show. We are inside of a month to Augusta National. I need to see something from two people. I need to see something from JT, and I need to see something from John Rahm. These are the number two and number three players in the world. I didn't think I'd seen something from these guys. And I think I've seen a lot now. Yeah. It's funny, John Rum, I kind of forgot that he was like a contender yesterday. We didn't, I mean, obviously he played well. Maybe he showed you what you needed to see, but, you know, in the, in the, whatever, 14 hours since the tournament wrapped up, or I have not thought about John Rum one single time until you just said that. Well, part of the reason why is because he wasn't barely on the broadcast. What's really, yeah, I don't, uh, he just didn't do anything special. He didn't really hit anything tight. He made a birdie on the third hole, and it's like, okay, maybe John Rahm's going to do this. But he made a bogey on five, a bogey on ten, made one more birdie the entire day. It was kind of lackluster. Yeah. I was really annoyed. but Totally. I don't know. He's not the winner. JT's the winner. 14 under. Justin Thomas shoots 64-68 on the weekend. Beats Lee Westwood by one. Uh, but it wasn't even really that close. JT was kind of in cruise control, and Lee Westwood spent most of the day kind of freaking out. But to me, this this felt like <laughs> clinical Tiger Woods type of play. I know everyone wants to make the JT to Tiger Woods comparison, and you can't compare anyone to Tiger Woods. But if there is anyone who plays like him, especially with their ball striking, this felt like that. You know, like every single shot with the long game is absolutely striped if he hits if he misses a fairway like it's just drizzling into the rough like there is just suffocating golf shots where he's not going to make a bogey he's not gonna make a double anywhere like that's the type of golf that JT played on the weekend what he did on the front nine yesterday was remarkable because uh Justin Thomas hit the first seven greens in regulation and he had two putt pars on each of those seven greens. And that included, I mean, sometimes you're talking 35 footers, but in this case he had, I think four or five putts inside of 15 feet, including a couple that were seven, eight footers. You could see him getting so frustrated because he was trying to chase down the leaders. And then number eight, he three putts. So all of a sudden it's like this guy is one over par. He hasn't missed really a shot yet. And that felt like a moment where it could have really turned in a negative direction um, because, you know, then frustration takes over. Um, But instead, JT followed with two splendid shots on the ninth hole. He hit a a towering five iron to 25 feet and two putted for birdie. So, Sean, I talked about this in my morning column. this morning but he finished the front nine at even par with 19 putts and that is a ball striking (laughs) bonanza that is a extremely rare feat where you can have more than two putts per green and still shoot even par it means you're hitting better than greens in regulation so i just wanted to throw that out there yeah that is ridiculous i was trying to think as you were saying that like was the ball striking really that good have we seen sergio do these kinds of things 
<laughs> yeah, it it really was that good. I mean, I know Jim uh, Mackay Bones was liking it to to Ben Hogan. Brandel was freaking out about it on live from. I don't like. I mean, JT said it's one of the best he's ever played his entire life. So I think that that's kind of the only standard we'd really need to care about. Uh, I wonder if he says all those things if he doesn't win. You know, it, it, the putts finally dropped. That's what I was thinking on the front nine. It's like, okay, who's going to take this tournament? Who is going to actually grab it by the horns? Lee Westwood's freaking out. Bryson's freaking out. Doug Gim freaking out. No one else is running up the leaderboard. We talked about how John Rahm was doing next to nothing. Who's going to do it? It was JT. Like... Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't. What I, I don't know we, is like, do we expect it? Do we expect him to take it in that moment? Because I didn't. Like, Justin Thomas hasn't been playing the best golf of his life. He's recently missed a couple cuts already this year. Like, I didn't necessarily expect him to do it. And it's one of those things where hindsight is is twenty twenty. Where you know, going into yesterday, Bryson was the betting favorite. Um, I mean. I picked Justin Thomas to win at the start of the week and I picked him again Saturday night, but that doesn't mean that, you know, somehow this is exactly what I expected to unfold. Um, we pick guys all the time. I think, well, in terms of your tiger comparison, I think what we would see with tiger when he's having a money ball striking round is that he'll hit at least two or three shots, you know, full iron shots that, threaten the hole you know yeah. that like that would stop within a foot or two of the cup and we didn't really see a ton of that from JT um I mean he had a tap in birdie at 12 but that's you know he drove yeah, so it then over the why green is everyone calling it the greatest it. ball striking round ever like he didn't really yeah, so I think it's a, it's just like tight. a slightly different brand of ball striking this is more like he didn't miss any shots rather than he hit a whole slew of spectacular shots. I mean, I think he hit really great iron shots on nine and on 11, those long irons into par fives um, that were pretty clutch. And then he hit another great shot into the 16th hole to set up uh, another birdie there. But yeah, I mean, it's not like he had kicking birdies all around uh, the yard yesterday, but I mean, no one has ever hit all 18 greens on in a final round this is what brandel was freaking out about on live from yesterday nobody has ever done it at tpc sawgrass and here he was 17 for 17 with sand wedge in his hand on the 18th uh and he he left it about a foot short of the green so uh, yeah i think it's a it's an interesting point i mean the dude only had three one three one putts before that 18th hole which is technically a one putt although for all intents and purposes it was a two putt but to chase someone down and only make really two putts the entire day is bizarre yeah i was left wondering i'm on this train from milwaukee to chicago as justin thomas is winning and i'm i'm left wondering Mm -hmm. like how big of a deal is this? <laughs> Literally, literal train, metaphorical train. No, I, I was on the Amtrak train, the the Hiawatha Amtrak, okay. uh, and I know that this is this kind of unbecoming, but I was like, how big of a deal is Justin Thomas winning the the players? Like, how big of a deal mm. is this? Because if you had to look at the World Golf Ranking and handpick the next fifteen champions of the players championship 
he he would be among the first three people you chose. Like his game is yes. definitely suited to win there. He's he's probably one of the top three irons players on tour and has never really had a lull in that aspect of his game. When he gets hot with the putter or whatever, he's a great driver of the golf ball. Like his game is is suited to win there. Like he said it on Saturday night. Look, I want to win this tomorrow, and I also think I can win it multiple times in my career. So I was like, gosh, this would have been a bigger deal if Bryson won. It would have been a bigger deal if Lee Westwood won. But I was kind of forcing myself to remember this actually is a huge deal. It's not a major championship, but it's a major championship light, so to say. And it's a huge deal career-wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fred Couples is in the Hall of Fame in part because he won the Masters, but secondarily because he won the Players. And Justin Thomas is going to have a Hall of Fame resume at some point. He, he pretty much already has it. Like this, People will not remember that he wins in Hawaii four or five times in his career, but they will remember that he won the 2021 Players Championship. So it, it helped me feel better. When yeah. It was like I was a little disappointed that like, it didn't come to Bryson or Westwood versus JT at the end on the final two hole stretch. Um, but I was happy to just to see that the players was one. Everyone was coughing it up on the front nine, but someone actually won it on the back nine. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that because um, just watching the I watched a lot of golf yesterday, more than I typically watch. And that meant that I, I saw uh JT run through the entire post round interview process and I was really struck by the um the story making that happens in those interviews and in this case it really felt like we were forcing the the kind of open wound uh of of JT you know overcoming obstacles and, mm-hmm. and rebounding. Certainly it was a meaningful victory for, for him after losing his grandfather who was involved in teaching him the game. Um, but I think we sort of lost track of the idea that really this was just a big win for one of the best golfers in the world. And this was a, an ascendant moment for the world number two. I mean, if you look in the last few years, Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas have probably been the best golfers, right? They're they're probably the the highest achieving. I mean, Brooks Kepka obviously has the the major championship record, but in terms of overall dominance across PGA Tour events, it's really those two guys. And we'd forgotten that JT was world number one as recently as last summer. Um, and so, in in all the talk about grief and and JT's mental health and this awkward way that we're trying to figure out how to talk about JT like building hurdles in front of himself and then having to jump over them in terms of uh of overcoming adversity we kind of lose lose sight of the fact that this guy is just really really good but he hasn't yet won a ton of big tournaments so this is a big tournament and it's a huge deal for his career yeah does that make sense yeah it does and when people uh, in the media and fans and everyone talking on Twitter, like when, when we don't see a player of his stature win for a while or contend for a while, we kind of think, well, what is up? Like JT, we, we only saw you kind of contend in Hawaii, but we haven't seen it since we saw multiple missed cuts. Like what is up? 
and you know his grandpa passed yeah. away and yeah he lost a major sponsorship uh on and deservedly so like his world was shaken up a bit he he didn't necessarily like i wouldn't i wouldn't call it adversity in the same way that like jordan spieth is going through adversity <laughs> with his golf swing um but jt's jt's like let's call it his his cruise control was like going over some bumps man and it makes you some those things can they can last a lot longer uh for some people than others like jordan spieth's bumps have lasted a really long time and same for tiger woods uh you don't really know sometimes how when you're when your world gets shaken up through through your own doing or someone else's like you don't really know how long that's going to affect someone so i think this win comes at a pretty important time for him like eventually he was going to win again but he happened to do it before augusta we were talking last night about how his biggest wins in his life well won the pga championship in 2017 but the others were like wgc's in the middle of the summer or these FedEx Cup playoff events, like late in the year, where mm-hmm. you're you're peaking for like a bunch of money, but not truly like golf legendary status. And so now he's peaked at the players three weeks before Augusta National. And uh, yeah, confidence-wise, he has to be as high as anyone in the entire game. Like, I just, I think yeah. confidence, confidence works for like a player like him you, you kind of need that jolt. He probably needs it a little bit more than some other people sometimes to fly as high as he wants to fly. Yeah. When we see, we see these stories pop up when certain people win, um, people that have, you know, been through career lulls. And I think of a guy like Brendan Todd coming back and, and climbing the mountaintop again after losing his game completely. JT has never been that guy. He's probably been the most opposite of that guy like one of the more carefree guys on tour um where he's just kind of always been good at golf you know he grew up in a stable home playing golf his parents are clearly very supportive they're around more than any other parents on the pga tour um so i think that it was clearly a, a rattling experience to have people suddenly questioning his character over the last few months and having to i guess look at himself in a different light that was that was clearly something that affected him in a big way um but yeah in terms of jt the golfer he quickly jumps back into you know the the very top of the guys that we are talking about and when we look forward sean to a place like augusta which it's now the season that we're looking at augusta and and almost nothing else uh, he's got to be right in that conversation, right? I mean, how how much does this Players Championship win translate to the Masters? Well, you mentioned earlier today that it's the type of golf course where you have to hit clutch shots. You know, <laughs> I don't think you have to hit clutch mm-hmm. shots at the Sony Open. Like, of course, you you have to hit clutch shots to win everywhere, but you don't have to do it on repeat. You don't have to do it off the tee and then into the green. Yeah. And then around the green, like there's just so many golf courses on the PGA tour where for the guys of these yeah. levels, like their B game is good enough to win and your B game just won't get it done at Augusta and it won't get it done at the players championship. So yeah, he kind of, the, 
to for a player like him to be at his A game right now, it's got to be a big deal. Um, you reminded me when you were talking about his consistency. He has not been outside the top 10 in the world golf ranking since the day he won the PGA Championship. So, uh, wow. Yeah, four going on That's four years. Good. He probably hasn't really even, he's probably barely been outside the top five since then. Yeah, well, he actually got down Bowl. to number 10. Uh, Stints at in the, sixth. Oh, in the middle right. of uh, middle of 2019. I wonder what's going on there. Okay. <laughs> Either way. Yeah. Take it uh, back. Really, really. But yeah, I mean the the Augusta and the Augusta players. I think there's probably a limit to those comparisons. But yeah, I mean, like you were saying, it's it's not a place. Neither place is somewhere where you can you know bank it off the hospitality tents or something (laughs) like that. You you have to hit the shot, and if you don't hit the shot, then there are severe consequences. The players, it feels like that is the case on so many shots. Augusta National. Uh, there are fewer of those shots, but they're crucially important. You know, the, the approach into 11, the tee shot on 12, the approaches on 13 and 15, the tee shot on 16. So there are a bunch of them. And then, man, it's funny to think how a couple things yesterday, like this is always the case after a PGA tour event, but JT's ball, if it doesn't kick forward, but then just kicks left into the water, then that's a clearly at least a one-shot swing. Meanwhile, Lee Westwood is on the 17th green three-putting. His putt lips out. So, I mean, there's a there's there's always ways that things could have turned so quickly, so differently. All right. Well, that's 17 and what a half minutes of our... on JT. <laughs> Can we talk about Lee? Yeah. Mr. Westwood? Let's finishes. talk about Lee. I was just I was just going to ask you about Mr. Lee Westwood. Do you do you feel did you feel as inspired as I did by Lee Westwood's performance? I mean, it was up and down. It left me feeling good the way he made that birdie putt on 18, but what do you take away from back-to-back solo second place finishes? I feel a little bad about this cuz I probably won't match your optimism level, but uh it felt yeah. inevitable that someone was going to chase him down. I mean, he got up into the lead early on Friday and then held, held the lead throughout Friday, pretty much held on to it. Uh, I think he was in the lead the entire day, Saturday. And all of a sudden he's like staring down, like, like that's why I meant earlier. Like this is actually more important for him than it is for Justin Thomas. Like it, it, it felt like Lee Westwood was going to obviously like, does he make the hall of fame with the players championship? I don't, I don't think he mm. was like on that level yet, but this is the guy with a ridiculous career, potentially one of the best careers in terms of longevity that seems to be like still peaking. Like, would this have been the biggest event of his life? Probably like probably would have been the biggest win of his life. So I, I left it like feeling bad, but feeling it was inevitable. It's kind of better for him that he finished his solo second instead of like T4 like he beat everyone in the field except for a generational talent, <laughs> which happened two weeks in a row now. Yeah. I think, you know, like two weeks, two weeks in a row he did that. Yeah, two weeks in a row he beats everyone except for the best player in the world at that moment. Uh, he takes a lot of solace in that, <laughs> way more than most people do. I mean, we are like a couple weeks removed from Brooks Kepka finishing second and saying still didn't win. Like. Yeah, mm-hmm. Brooks. 
you you can't be happy with second. Uh, I keep thinking about Lee Westwood in the Ryder Cup. I know that that's six months away still, but the guy was a vice captain in France. Not in playing vice captain. Nowhere near. Like he was, he was putting his name in the hat to be the playing cap or to be a captain of the twenty three Ryder Cup team. He wants to be that, that like figure role, that that father figure role to young European players. But we're like, dude, you don't have to do that quite yet. You can still play. You can be a playing captain in the Ryder Cup if you want to. So that's I think what I go to right away. I have a hard time crowning people that don't finish in first place, but <laughs> sue me for that. Yeah, I mean, I think what was so aspirational about his loss was just the way he approached it. I mean, partly we don't crown people for finishing second because they're so down on themselves for not finishing second. But I think with the guy like Lee, who definitely in his career has more to prove or or at least used to have more to prove, has now entered this stage where it feels like everything is gravy. And you're totally right. It felt inevitable. He spoke on Saturday about how the players or TPC Sawgrass is a tough place to to hold a lead. And then he <laughs> proved that to be true. I mean, God, he hit that slice into the water off the fourth tee. And he still, he left that hole with a two-shot lead. And, and nothing could have felt <laughs> like creakier than that two-shot lead. Um, but all right, so let's see. Here's, what did he say afterwards? He said he takes just an unbelievable amount of positives from the last two weeks of play. Uh, he was talking about how his legs were a little bit tired, which is understandable after two weeks in contention. He just, you know, admittedly wasn't swinging as well. So I think he's he's saying it was partly physical. He didn't have his best game. I mean, I think a, a more critical voice would talk about his his nerves in the lead, and he hit some really poor tee shots that, you know, if it was a, a Saturday or a Friday, would he have hit that? same quality of tee shots maybe not but to see him handle second place like a victory is an incredibly healthy thing given that week in and week out you have to beat 140 something in this case 152 golfers just to finish in second place so I was really happy for Lee Westwood I felt energized listening to him after his round and and he felt like a guy that that had this real perspective on life um, and golf. And it, it, it made me happy for him. But Even though, God, of, the guys finished second at so many yeah. times. <laughs> think about what today would be like in the golf world. We would not be like, oh, JT is Hogan-esque with his ball striking. We'd be like, holy cow, Lee Westwood's career is capped off. He finally did it. You look at his world golf ranking page, his top two performances in terms of world ranking points are both second place finishes in majors. So like he has never actually won an event that was more important to his ranking mm. than the second place finishes. So that's just kind of the thing when it comes to Lee Westwood. Like you you could have changed our entire perspective on his career if we didn't get a little bit weird with the tee shots yesterday on the front nine. And, you know, potentially the one thing that we kind of skipped over was the drop that he had uh, from that lake mm. that he hinted into. Like, he had chances. Everyone was crumbling. Bryson hit a top, then he just about hit the next one out of bounds. Like, 
Everyone in contention was backing up from Lee. You you probably couldn't have scripted a better opportunity for some guy like him to just go out and shoot 70 and win the tournament. But he didn't do it. Here's it's tough. <laughs> so here's I think why here's why I think I'm feeling positive coming out of this is because I don't feel as though this is sustainable. I think Lee Westwood still has good golf ahead of him, but I'm really glad that he seems to be soaking up the good times here because they just don't last. They don't last for anyone. Like we're always prisoners of the moment. Whenever someone wins, we're like, yeah, man, this guy's going to win a bunch more immediately. <laughs> it happens. Lee Westwood just finished second twice in a row. He's 47 years old. He's not going to do that again. Like I, I hope he proves me wrong, but it just feels incredibly unlikely that he's going to be in contention at two huge golf tournaments uh, in the immediate foreseeable future. I mean, Look, maybe you're going to tell me that he's going to win the Masters, but I'm glad that he's soaking it up while it's here because nothing else is guaranteed. I really, really, really hope that he can hold on to this form or some small, slight derivative of it for one more month. Just get, get Westwood's name on the leaderboard at Augusta. I would love that. In part because who's a better golfer in their 40s right now? Or like, mm. who is a who's a better golfer from that generation right now than he is? No, no one. You know is, who might but... be? Paul Casey is damn good, man. Is he from he that keeps, generation? He keeps just showing. Is he from uh, that yeah, generation? I mean, he's he's what is he 40, 43 years old, maybe. Paul so Casey is forty three. Damn, I think he's older similar. than he looks. Older than he looks. Uh, older than he plays. <sighs> the reason I I say that though is because. As of, let's say, 12 months ago, in terms of guys from that generation, we had Tiger Woods. We had Phil Mickelson still being relevant, trying to make a Ryder Cup team. Mm -hmm. Those guys, like Tiger, hopefully everything comes out of the car crash like positive, but we don't have playing Tiger anymore, and we won't for a long time. We might not ever get it again. So, like, that box that was lit up is now grayed out. Phil Mickelson was a box that was lit up. He played on the Ryder Cup team in Paris. It's now grayed out. Who played like, right who, this week? Yeah, but the old guard, Phil isn't going to win like another tour event anytime soon, I don't think. Who who from that old guard can do it? Like Jim Furyk's playing more in the Champions Tour. Henrik Stenson's game's kind of off right now. Who's going to be that guy? Like Sergio played well, but he kind of faded a little bit. Like, I think mm-hmm. it's important for us to have some of these older guard guys show out every once in a while. And if Lee Westwood's going to be that guy, I'm all I'm here for it. I think you're sleeping on uh, on Adam Scott, who is pretty much uh, he's he's maybe like a half generation. Yeah, there. but he's <laughs> but um and but it's if you were going to pick a British forty something that was going to be contending, if you'd asked me a year or two ago. You would have said it would be Justin Rose, but my man is spending a lot of time on the commercials in between uh, in between golf shots rather than yeah. Adam Scott in is seven and a half years younger than Lee Westwood, so not exactly yeah, the same generation. generation. Uh, but let's move on. Let's move on to Bryson, and I know I know people probably don't want to hear a bunch about Bryson. But I have really one true takeaway about Bryson this weekend. I think that I think that his play this weekend, this week, was more impressive than his win at Bay Hill. 
And that's not like a Whoa. incredible take. The guy the guy finished T3 at a bigger field, bigger event. But it's at a course that like truly is not set up for his strengths. You you saw it on yesterday when Bryson's uh, Bryson was negative strokes gained off the tee yesterday. I know he topped one under the, <laughs> to a hazard, but you don't ever ever see that guy go negative strokes gained off the tee anymore. So with him, like all these arguments for whether he's great or just really good or like legendary, they're all circumstantial. He wins at Bay Hill. He's gonna win everywhere, but he shoots. You know, one under yesterday. A lot of people are like, oh, his game doesn't, his game's going to crack under pressure. JT's closer. I think, like, the truth is, Bryson kept driver in the bag a bunch this week. Like, it's just another iteration of us seeing, oh, Cray, like, this guy has got game throughout the bag. It's not just the driver. Yeah. Yeah. He can choke, he, he can choke out a golf course. He really can. But yes, you couldn't do it this week. It, like you don't choke out TPC Sawgrass, you just yeah. don't. It chokes you out. We saw what it did to him and his playing partner on Sunday. So like, I was actually, I was impressed that he grinded through the first round, shot a really good second round, grinded through the third round, and all of a sudden he's there in the final pairing again. Like he wasn't winning the tournament, but that is how he's played at the toughest events. Like. He wasn't leading at Wingfoot going into the final day. He wasn't leading at TPC Harding Park last year. But his floor is so damn high that he kind of contends when it gets really tough. I That's my takeaway on Bryson is like T3 at the players from a guy who we would have expected maybe to like flame out and miss the cut there. Doesn't suit his game. It was pretty damn impressive. For sure. It was a reminder of the Bryson that existed before the bulk up. Uh, Let's see, he was asked about his his biggest takeaway, and here's what he said. He said, I can play on golf courses that don't really suit me, and that's a big lesson. So that's huge. He made a great double bogey on the fourth hole yesterday, and then he really hung around. If he had made a couple more putts, which he was all around the edge all day, I mean, he easily could have won the golf tournament. But it, it hearkened back to me... I walked with Bryson at Ridgewood in New Jersey. Oh, a golf course that you've played, actually, Sean. Yeah, um, shout, out I to, walked, shout out to the Rose family. That's right. I walked on Sunday when uh, Bryson and a uh, friend of the podcast, Keegan Bradley, not actually a friend of the podcast, but I wish, <laughs> um, were playing in the final group, and Keegan was shooting about 83, if I remember correctly, and Bryson was storming away with the thing and he was just playing this sort of golf that he plays where he just plays the numbers he hits to the middle of greens he takes on risk where he can Uh, he approaches it very analytically and analytics and big time drive mashing sometimes seem like they're in opposition but really Bryson first revolutionized his approach with this analytics idea of, of keeping things safe. And that made him a good closer, I think, under pressure because he wasn't taking on unnecessary risks, getting short-sided, etc. So we're seeing Bryson playing golf um, and not just playing the numbers. And I think this week was a, a good reminder 
uh, that he can do both and that he's the dude's going to be a factor. I mean, if he's not a top three favorite at Augusta, then that's wrong. Yeah. Right? Or, or someone else has just like played their ass off the last couple, the next couple of weeks, um, which sure. could happen, could happen. But what, what I was just thinking about is uh, he averaged 294 off the tee this week. You will not see another tournament the rest of the year, the next three years, unless it's the players, where Bryson DeChambeau averages less than 300 yards off the tee. That is yeah, absolute truth. And so like when the, when the year ends and we're sizing up driving distance averages between him and Cameron Champ, he carved in, uh, he put in four rounds at the players where it's all under 300 yards. That is, uh, you know, who led the, you know, who led this week in, in total driving distance, all drives measured. I would guess Sergio. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm cheating because this is unfortunately only through two days because this player did not make the cut. And that was Rory McIlroy who uh, finished first in all drives measured. How many uh, yards? T142 in, How many yards? in the leaderboard conversation. It was only about 300 yards. Okay. So, so yeah, guys, just can't, you just can't hit it very far. I mean, on, on some of these holes, like number four, you run into, you know, an upper limit pretty quickly. Isn't, um, isn't this a great of example of firmer than others? Like not every golf course needs to be set up like TPC Sawgrass was and is during the, pl- uh, the players. But this is the exact like argument that Titleist, TaylorMade, Callaway, this is what they should use for uh, to fight against the rollback alliance, right? Like, look, we challenged the hell out of the best players in the world. And they, you know, and Rory was the longest one of them all at 300 yards. We did it. Like, this is how it can be done. This is how major championships should be set up. We we crowned a very deserving champion, Justin Thomas, because he hit artful irons all over the place using just about every club in the bag this is what they should use they should use the players sure and i mean look at the first few names on this leaderboard you have justin thomas lee westwood bryson brian Harmon, taylor gooch paul casey shane lowry i mean the you're talking about a, a wide profile of players which is what we were promised coming into the week that's what everyone says. Oh, you, the players doesn't favor any certain type of player. Uh, it, it definitely didn't favor Rory this week, though. And and w- I'm what is the current state of Rory McIlroy? What? Where? Yeah. Where? Where are I'm you concerned. here on a scale of I, calm I, to freaking out? <laughs> well, we get asked about these individual performances and missed cuts and whatnot in Tour Confidential all the time. And if you're first time listener. Longtime reader, you know Tour Confidential. It's the roundtable that we always re, uh, respond to every Sunday night on golf.com. Now, a couple weeks ago, I was asked about Rory. Are you worried about his recent performances? And I said, no. This guy is truly mm. one of the three best players of his generation. Might be the best player of his generation. That probably is still to be seen. But he's, he's there. I, I rarely worry about Rory. But I am right now. Like all this, the swing issues and where it all stems from probably like October last year, doing a little bit speed training, sort of getting sucked into that stuff. Um, Swing got flat, long, 
Um, too rotational. Obviously, added some speed and hitting the ball longer, but uh, what that did to my swing as a whole um, probably wasn't a good thing. So I'm sort of fighting to get back out of that. You're, you're obviously one of the longest players on the PGA Tour. Why do you think you went down that route? Um, I think a lot of people did. Uh, I, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't anything to do with what Bryson did at the U.S. Open. I think a lot of people saw that and were like, whoa, you know, if this is the way they're going to set golf courses up in the future, it helps. It really helps. The one thing that people don't un don't appreciate is how good Bryson is out of the rough. Not only because of how upright he is, but because his short irons are longer than standard, so he can get a little more speed through the through the rough than than, than, uh, than us than other guys. Um, and I thought, you know, being able to get some more speed is a is a good thing. And uh, I maybe just, you know, to the detriment a little bit of of my swing. I got there, but I just need to maybe rein it back in a little bit. The easy reflexive response is like, Rory, you don't need to chase distance. But he told us on Friday after missing the cut, yeah, I kind of got into a little bit of Bryson chasing. Last October, like I got after it, tried to speed train, tried to get longer, and it worked. I did get longer, but you know what else happened? My swing became a little bit more rotational. He said it got flatter. And like small, unintended swing changes happen to everyone. Bryson, uh, like, you know, he works through that stuff with Chris Como. Dustin, in the middle of a, 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 a FedEx championship, like, tour season, just ended up like getting really kind of far away from the golf ball or really close to the golf ball. Like, these things happen. But, like, the easiest response is, Rory, you didn't need to do this. Did you feel you needed to do this? Did you, or, or how about this? Did you realize what the consequences could be? Like, he's got the perfect golf swing, right? Did did he have anyone in his ear saying like, look, yeah, you might get a little flatter. You're probably going to get more rotational. It's kind of hard to use all that stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Well, what's weird is now he's, because he's always been flat, and now he's, like, too steep. He went from being too flat to then, I don't know if it was an overcorrection, but he's, like, coming in steep on the ball, and then he has this weird shallowing move, and he can't quite shake it, and it brings this hard left miss into play. And, you know, we saw that at, at Bay Hill last week where he just barely missed, probably left of his target line, and it buried his chances on Sunday. And then we saw it when he made eight on the 18th hole uh, this week. So... Yeah, something's going on with Rory's swing, but I you're you're right that the mentality that led to it is even more fascinating. I I kind of think that if Rory was a slightly shorter hitter, he might not have felt the same pressure to chase after Bryson. But Why? I wonder if since he has this identity as one of the game's longest players, if it's harder to um, let that guy go off the lead pack. You know, if we were talking Tour de France. Some guy splits off the uh, the the front of the pack. If you're in second, you're gonna go chase him. But if you're hanging back in the peloton, if you're just you know one of the pack, <laughs> then you just say, oh, you know that guy, he he might he might burn a little too hot up there. Yeah. So I think that could be the case. And when you hear someone like Justin Thomas talk about, oh, have you considered bulking up? JT's like, dude, I weigh 145 pounds. There's no chance that I can do that to my body, nor would I want to. Uh, but Rory, I mean, Rory did add speed to be fair. 
he's smashing the ball. He hits the hell out of it. Um, yeah, but he did so he, two years he did ago. Gain speed, but he did. But I think when Rory played with Bryson at the start of uh, last summer, I think Bryson was murking it past him, <laughs> thirty yards past him, forty well, yards past him. I'm and not gonna. That might have been a wake up call. I'm not gonna blame Rory. Like, in his, he has a pretty grand view of the golf world, the future of the game. Like he. He, he looks at a lot of things. He knows the right things to look at, too. So I'm not going to blame him for seeing Bryson win by six at winged foot, making uh, a setup that you kind of tend to see three, four times a year, making that look like child's play. Like, I'm not going to get upset with him. But if you ask me, like, why we've reached where we've reached, I would th- I would think that Rory doesn't necessarily have the capability to grind right now in the way that Bryson does. The, the way that Bryson has, the way that he he's treated the last 24 months with Chris Como as this inflection point in both his game and like the game at large. Rory's married. He has an infant at home. Bryson is single. He doesn't have an infant at home. He lives across town from his swing coach. Like he is willing to put in ridiculous hours while he's leading the tournament on the driving range until sundown. Like to do what Bryson has done takes a ton of work. Like is Rory totally capable of matching Bryson? I think he's capable of it. Is, is, is the work probably greater than he wants to do at whatever he is 32 in his life right now? I think that's probably true as well. It's funny. Uh, I remember Kevin Kisner saying maybe last summer, like, man, that sounds like a guy with a lot of free time on his hands when he was asked about <laughs> yeah. Bryson. And uh, Webb Simpson said something similar this week. He said, look, I got five kids and it's just, it, it's not going to happen. And I, I think that we do forget a little bit about that aspect of it. You know, you talk about guys that might have good perspective, work-life balance, you know, Lee Westwood's whole approach where he's, he's you know, on to thinking about spending time with his son or, or, or betting on the ponies next week. Bryson doesn't have that. Bryson has no interest in work-life balance. He has interest in tinkering with his golf swing, picking up speed, um, training. I mean, he may not he may not love going home and playing golf, so he loves golf in a slightly different way, but everything is a project for him, and everything revolves around getting better in this arena. So, yeah, that's probably still an underrated piece to to Bryson's life. He's not building, you know, book club lists like we were <laughs> with Rory McIlroy for a while. It's, maybe that's good for... It's tricky, right, because... You know, you'd say, "Oh, that's good for Rory. That's good for his 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 balance, his his mental health that he has this life outside of the golf course." But then, still, you know, it eats at him when he doesn't play well, and that's not yeah. good for his general happiness. So, you know, it my is dude good. needs to play a little bit better here. What's that? Here, here's the take, Rory. He's the new uh, player committee president. Is that the role, president? Mm-hmm. He saw what Bryson was doing. And he's like, I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb. I'm going to chase him. I'm going to put my perfect golf swing 
through the ringer here. No, I'm kidding. That's kind of I'm I'm kind of joking, but also like what's what's true is that Rory is the sacrificial lamb. Like he he tried. Everyone's going to be able to point to look it's really not worth it to, to chase distance. When Bryson's saying, you have to do it, you should do it, everyone in the media is like, you got to hit it longer to compete on tour. Everyone's going to be able to look at Rory and be like, look, I don't think it's worth it. He is going to be a you know a case study now. Whether he intended yeah. to or we ever, ever thought about it until now, he is the case study. And that's one example, but... We constantly make judgments about this game with one example. So I, I think it actually could do some other people some good, the fact that Rory has struggled so much with this. And I guess we're going to see going forward, we'll see other guys continue to try it. I mean, Tony Finau was definitely making sure that he had a few extra miles an hour in the tank. Uh, he was testing his upper limits. I mean, there were definitely guys that have been inspired by Bryson to to go see what their upper range is so they can reach back for an extra few yards. But, God, Bryson hits the ball straight when he hits it well. When he hits that driver well, it is on a line. And that's never really been Rory's thing. You know, Rory hits those high draws. They're beautiful. They're awesome. But he he... he when he adds speed, clearly something else happens. When Bryson adds speed, this seems to be the miracle of Bryson and the, well, not the miracle, the hard work of Bryson and yeah. that single plane move. Everything seems to, when it's all going well, everything seems to start out on the trajectory that he wants and stay pretty straight. Except when he, you know, sometimes he hits those high draws. So, so I, I'm not completely making sense here, but the dude just has control of his golf ball in a more scientific way than Rory, the artist seems to have. Yeah. The science is winning right now. The artist will win again. I think we can, For at now. Least I, I would like to end the podcast just by clarifying. Look, you and I are probably pro Bryson. This is probably a pro Bryson podcast. The content with Bryson is too good. He is a content King. Mm-hmm. You, wherever you're listening, you don't have to love Bryson. You can dislike things that he does, ways that he handles things, mm-hmm. but you cannot continue to be ignorant of his golfing ability. He is so, so, so good at delivering the club face to the ball, doing it with every single part of his game. That includes putting. And it very much includes driver, and it definitely includes irons. His short game, rather underrated. And you know what? He's been this way his entire life. Like, we cannot forget about everything he's done before he became the golf hulk. So, like, you don't have to love him. You got to appreciate him, though. And that's kind of my final thought. That's a good way to end it. Let's consider that the official end, but let me add an unofficial bonus ending. Shout out to my man, Ricky Fowler. Think about the pin we saw yesterday on 17. How many contenders went at that (laughs) flag? One did. Brian Harmon. Credit to him because he made a birdie. Earned himself some extra cheddar. But Ricky Fowler made birdie on 17 three times in a row in 2015. And that pin has only looked more and more difficult since then. I understand the greens were a little firmer yesterday than they were in 2015. It's harder to go directly at that pin and 
you know, he probably had a little extra margin for error, but the fact that he did what he did at the players in 2015 combined with how the players seems to, to continue to uh, ascend in our, you know, minds every year as a bigger and bigger tournament. Ricky was a little bit ahead of his time because I think if he did what he did in 2015, if he did that today, if he had done that yesterday instead of mm, shooting 77, 73, I think he gets an awful lot more credit. So that was one of the things I was thinking about as we watched the contenders play safely to the middle of the green on 17 yesterday. That was six years ago, I guess two mm. months shy, two months shy of it being a full six years. But it, it properly feels like a long time ago, uh, especially watching the current Ricky. But, uh, you know, he'll probably play Honda this week. Maybe he'll get into the Masters that way. But that is good enough for you and me and the drop zone this week. 47 and a half minutes, Dylan. I think that's more than last week. We're Ooh. getting longer. But, uh, yeah, folks, we have Honda. We're still playing Florida golf. Tune in next week. <laughs>